You're listening to The Big Cast C-Suite Edition, your source for leadership insights and inspiration with John Janclays. Hey, John, how's it going with data analytics in your organization? You know what, John? We are having a blast over here at Partners. Oh, cool. One of the things I feel like people need to do is to continually sharpen their saws it relates to data analytics. Have you heard of our AXFI conference? I have, John. You know, last year the team went and they came back raving about the conference. What did they like about it? Well, I think that there's kind of two big tracks. It's not just data analytics, but it's also innovation, that you get to see your peers present some of their ideas rather than theory, things that are actually happening. You know, John, this sounds like a conference that more than just your data analytics team should come to. I mean, this is part of your senior team, your data analytics folks, maybe other members of your executive team. Hey, when's the conference this year? Have they scheduled it yet? Yeah, for for coming up in uh, 2018, it's June 10th through the 13th in Minnesota. Where where can I go to sign up? You can go to www.axficonference.com. That's www.axficonference.com. Great. I'll check it out. Thanks, John. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of C-Suite Interviews. I'm your host, John Janclays, and this show is brought to you every month courtesy of the Big Cast Network. And this month, we have a great interview for you. It's with Peter Hildenbrand. Peter is the managing partner at the Boston Consulting Group, their Los Angeles office. And Peter's expertise is on agile methodology, or as I like to say, hey, helping us move our digital transformation faster than it's happening now. And uh, as you know, at Partners, we have an initiative to try to move it twice as fast, three times as fast, four times as fast, so that our brand stays relevant for our members. Hey, before we get into the interview with Peter, um, I'd like to talk about just a couple notes. So the first thing is, if you've not bought John Best's book, Breaking Digital Gridlock, I think you're going to want to do that. I just finished reading John's book, and it's chocked full of really good insights about all kinds of things that you hear about, whether you're in the boardroom or you're talking to your peers or you're doing reading just to keep up on topics such as, well, Agile Methodology would be one, which is found in Chapter 1, pages, what, I don't know, 10 through 20 or something like that. I just finished reading that to help me on my journey. Also, terms like blockchain, um, AI, machine learning, all of these things are in John's book. And I've decided to buy a copy of this for everybody on my executive team and ask them to please put this in their library as part of their references so that when they run into something that they're not sure about, you can go into it. The way the book is organized, John touches on every topic, but more importantly, he talks about what it has to do with financial services and what we need to do in order to harness the power of these different technologies that are happening. My second note is about Glenn Cervati's recent episode on Finnovate London. If you're not familiar with Finnovate, that is a demonstration of technologies that are done in a very rapid pace. Over a couple days, you'll see about 60 kinds of new technologies that will inform financial services. This show rotates between the Silicon Valley, New York, and London, and Glenn made the trip over there for our benefit to listen to these presentations. He's brought to us the top five or six technologies and interviews with those folks from those firms, and I can't think of a better way to have your eye on the horizon than listening to Glenn's interviews about Finnovate, whether they're in London or the next one that's coming up in New York. So if you didn't catch that episode, you'll want to do that. Okay, so let's come back to today's episode. 
If you're a regular listener, I think you'll remember that I have a day job. I am the president and CEO of Partners Credit Union. We serve the Walt Disney Company. And a big part of our brand offering to be relevant to our members is to have great outreach using technology. And at one point, we took a step back based on our staff's feedback and our board saying, you know what, we need to move faster. We need to bring more services of the credit union out on a quicker pace, maybe twice as fast and maybe even three and four times as fast. But if we start with 2X, we'll begin to understand how we need to change our people, process, technology, our culture, the way we get things done in order to accomplish that aim. I think you'll remember too that in January, we started a pilot program that lasted for two months and we brought on the Boston Consulting Group, Peter Hildebrandt, who I talked about earlier, was the managing partner over our engagement. And um, we also partnered with a technology master. So uh, that is Coney, who's helped us on this journey. They're bringing all kinds of expertise uh, about Agile, but also technology suites uh, to help us meet our goal. And we've made some really good success. I'm happy to report that we have found 2X. Um, and basically what that means is we put out new service and offerings to our members about every six months. We did this inside of 60 days. So we learned an awful lot about what to do and what not to do. And um, so we had a capstone event in Austin, Texas at Coney's headquarters where they have their innovation lab. And we reviewed our progress, lessons learned, but also with an eye towards the future saying, you know, if we want to do this better, if we want to move up to 3X and 4X, what are we going to need to do? And so while we were in Austin at their headquarters, we actually filmed the second episode of a documentary about our journey. And uh, we laid it out there for you. Our lessons learned, the good, the bad, the ugly. And uh, hopefully you'll find that informative. So look for that video video to come out on the documentary. Part two of this five-part series uh, will come out. Uh, it's going to be about three or four weeks before we have that edited, reviewed, and have that ready for publication to you. If you haven't seen episode one, you can go back to last month's podcast. And in the show notes, there's a link to episode number one, or you can go to the CEOcorner.com, look under documentary, and then everything about our journey is there. We keep kind of a running history of the videos, the papers, the, uh, the blogs, everything having to do with our journey there. Okay, so that brings us back to today's interview with Peter Hildebrandt. I thought it would be good for our listeners to back up and all of us have a foundation around what is agile methodology, why are so many firms, particularly financial services firms, embracing the methodology, what are some of the do's and don'ts, what is the executive's role in that, and many other points that I think you'll find interesting. So uh, Peter and I met up in our offices in Burbank after we kind of did a, a monthly debrief about how things are going on our project after the pilot program, something that I can continue to report on. And uh, Peter and I uh, pulled up a chair and had a good 35-minute discussion about this very topic, and I hope you enjoy it. So without further delay, here's my interview with Peter Hildenbrandt, the Boston Consulting Group. Hey, Peter. How are you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm good to be here, John. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, for our audience who's listening, we're coming from Burbank, our offices here at Partners Credit Union. And Peter has been a, a good partner over the last couple months in helping our credit union learn about Agile. But before we do that, we probably should learn a little bit about you, our audience. So, Peter, if you don't mind, just take two to three minutes and tell our listeners about who you are, kind of your professional journey and how you got into consulting. Sure. 
I'm a partner with BCG based here, right here in Los Angeles. Mm. Um, I lead our um, pra agile practice, agile transformation in North America. Mm. Um, I'm a systems engineer by training. I've been um, initially on the technical side and on the research side. I spent some time um, as a visiting researcher up at UC Berkeley, then got into industry um, and ultimately landed in consulting. First, mm -hmm. kind of on, on the operation side, operational transformation, mm -hmm. operational efficiency out on the shop floor, back in the support functions. Um, and then as kind of uh, as agile became more important for our clients as a topic over the last like, five or six years, um, I kind of thought back to my days back in as an engineer back in software back in software engineering and saw that there was going to be a big opportunity for us this was going to drive a lot of change mm -hmm. and thought my background in operations my background in transformation understanding how software engineering works mm -hmm. there was kind of a window of opportunity to bring that together so started working on this with one of our first agile transformation clients six years ago mm -hmm. and since then probably haven't done haven't done anything else much <laughs> That's amazing that it's moved that way. So maybe kind of zooming out a little bit too for our listeners who don't know who the Boston Consulting Group is, maybe just tell us about the Boston Consulting Group, its broader mission, and then specifically this area of practice, why you think it's speeding up and how it's coming to the forefront, as you've told us. For sure. So as a Boston Consulting Group, we're one of the lead, leading strategy and management consulting firms. The way we think about our mission is ultimately helping the best organizations with their toughest challenges. But for us, that means like bringing the best people to the team, pushing the thinking, always pushing one level further. Mm. Um, but then also working very closely with our clients, driving action transformation based on what we are finding. Mm. And ultimately means for us building capabilities, right? Enabling our clients to move, to move forward better. Mm. Um, as we are, as we are thinking about that market, that industry, one of the big trends over the last over the last 10 years probably has been digital. Mm. And with digital comes that need for organizations to be more responsive, to be more nimble, to get closer to their customer. Mm. And ultimately, in other words, become become more agile. And that's really where, where I come in, mm. right? It's that question of how do we get organizations to become ready for that responsiveness, that closeness to the customer, mm. the digital age demands. So the marketplace, I agree with you, the digital transformation is a huge driver and people are feeling that need to put out relevant product services at a quicker pace. But when folks call you, do they call and say, we want agile or do they call with some other kind of problem that presents? John, that's a, that's a great question because I think very few of our clients come along and say, we want to become more agile. There's some that it's the exception yeah. in most cases. I want to say it's it's other it's weak signals it's other problems that need to be solved. But by far the biggest by far the biggest driver is speed. Right? We have a lot of clients who come to us and say we need to act faster. We need to get products out into the marketplace faster. We need to be faster at responding to our competitors. We need to be faster at responding to our customers' needs. And that discussion around speed that is probably the number one question. Number two is probably the idea around engaging customers better and bringing better products and better offerings to their customers. Yeah. And, uh, and again, I think digital has been resetting the norms and the expectations there. Right? People are seeing the customer experience that Amazon and Zappos and Google are give and Uber are giving them. Mm -hmm. And it's seamless, it's beautiful, it's easy, it's quick, it's unbureaucratic. Mm -hmm. And they're starting to expect that same experience from the more established companies. Right? And those companies have set a norm around responsiveness to their customers, right? They're listening to their customers. We see these things that somebody tweets to Elon Musk that there's an issue around people parking 
cars at a superstar charger station and after the car is fully charged they leave it sitting there blocking the spot and somebody tweeted this and elon musk tweeted back and said that's that's a problem we're going to be looking into it and they built a software fix that would charge people more for parking their car at a charger after it's fully charged so basically charge more for the uh for the weight for the sitting than for the actual energy filling and they pushed that out over the air to all you to all cars hmm. and i think it took them in the end eight days from that tweet until that over the air update was pushed out when right? customers see that right they hear that that there is companies that listen hmm. and they act and it all in days not weeks or months mm-hmm. and our customers and our, our clients see that that that's really what they need to compete with so we're using the word agile a lot here so Maybe for our listeners who are not familiar with Agile methodology, maybe just kind of give us that high-level primer. What is Agile and why is it this complement to these business problems? Um, sure. Like at the heart, I would think of Agile as a different way of working and a different way of making decisions. Mm. If, if I kind of think what's, what's at the core of it, mm. it's really about small cross-functional teams mm. that are empowered to make decisions at the team level. They're working towards value-focused goals. And they're working iteratively based on data and feedback. Those teams, small, independent, cross-functional, they make decisions, they try things out, they learn, they test, they iterate. And they can do that very quickly without having to go through the larger organization around them. Mm. And then the kicker is that those teams are also accountable to improve the way they work themselves over time. So when we think about an agile transformation, we really think about getting more and more of those small teams into place that can work fast and independently. And that's really where we see the speed and the effectiveness coming from. Maybe walk us through, and and you can even use partners as an example. So we came to you presenting that problem saying we're not moving fast enough, that our brand is not staying relevant enough based on members' expectations. And so thinking about that a little bit, how did you kind of come in and start to listen to our business problems and help us kind of down this path and 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 kind of meet us where we were at, Peter, right? Because we were using a PMO methodology, waterfall. And, uh, you know, so tell me how you work with clients. And if you want to use us as an example, that's fine. Kind of how you work through the actual process of adopting Agile and actually making progress against that end goal, which is more rapid delivery of services to our customers, our members. Mm-hmm. That was a big question. I'm sorry, but it's that, that's what's that's kind of what I think is probably on our listeners' minds. Um, big, big question. Very simple answer. Um, the first step is admitting you have a problem. All right. And um, so, where did we start in our where did we start in our journey? Probably two things. Right. We started by digging deeper and really understanding what agile is and how it works, so that we are th- understanding what are the principles that we are trying to put in place, right? We don't want to just want to jump to a methodology, jump to an answer, but what are the principles we want to put in place? Mm-hmm. And I think we spent quite a bit of time in the beginning, right, talking as a leadership team, going through immersion sessions, going through simulations, and really getting our heads around, how is this going to work? Why does it work? How will this fit in here? Mm-hmm. And then I think the parallel track was um, we looked at um, what are the challenges that we're really facing today, right? And we actually looked at um, how does the current, like what are the boundaries or the problems that the current PMO process brings with it? Mm-hmm. And I think one of the uh, the questions going into this, when we talk about Agile and we say small empowered teams that make decisions independently, we're kind of saying, what are you willing to let go of, right? Mm-hmm. What is the uh, illusion of control, the illusion of mm-hmm. uh, understanding of where that the, the illusion of, pla- of plans that you have, 
that you're willing to give up in favor of those teams working independently. Right? In order to get there, I think we first had to get through the point that we understand that a lot of the control and the plans that we have today, actually, they give us an illusion of certainty, but in the end, things usually ha don't happen quite the way we planned them out anyway, and we don't have quite the control that we think we have. Mm -hmm. So we can actually be ready to let that go to the teams and let the teams work independently. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's really the place to start, right? And then the third piece is to get the, get the journey underway, right? Mm -hmm. I think we went through this in... Um, and John, you might remember better than I do, I want to say in like two weeks, yes. um, and we got our first team underway, right? And we picked a team, we picked a point, we actually started working in that fashion so that we didn't spend too much time admiring the problem, but we mm -hmm. started looking at what could it look like and mm -hmm. learning with the living object. Mm -hmm. And that's in my mind really the way to get started on the journey when we're starting from kind of the, the fresh ground. Let's understand what Agile really is and what it really means and what we are trying to do. And let's understand what the problem is that we are trying to solve today, but then also let's get underway very quickly. You know what was extremely helpful too, and it was kind of counterintuitive to me, was that as we were beginning to use the Agile principles to move the same stream of work that we were doing before, that to be able to look back about the way we were doing it and that compare and contrast, because in many ways, the way that we were doing it through our project management office, we were not getting the results we want. We had the feedback. We were over budget. We were over time. And we were changing the scope on projects. So to have that, and that wasn't on everything. We had some projects that were brilliant and, and lended themselves to that kind of way of working. But in many areas, it didn't. And so by moving to this kind of work, that contrasts with, I was just doing it that way, you know, and then doing it in a new way is like, oh, my gosh. I can see where this speeds things up. And, and to your point about the illusion of control, having those failures of before, I can remember sitting in meetings with project teams saying, why can't they make that call on their own? Why are we waiting another week to come back and ask, let's say, you know, an approving group? They should have that authority to do that. And finding this way of working was like, now that actually works compared to what we were doing, you know? So, yeah, very, very helpful. Um, if you're talking to someone who's in my seat and you're saying, if you're trying to solve for these business problems and using agile methodology, what would you say to, you know, CEOs about, you know, or leaders about what do you need to change in your own kind of DNA and thinking in order to, to make this work for the organization? What's the CEO's mindset? Um, a couple, a couple of things come to mind. I think the first one, the first one is, um, this idea of what you're willing to let go of. Um, in Spotify, which was one of the first organizations that pioneered Agile at a larger scale, and they gave us concepts around tribes and squads and chapters and guilds, and a lot of the thinking about how do you scale Agile up in a larger engineering organization. Mm. Um, they always asked this question, what are you willing to let go of as a leader? What are you willing to, um, to delegate to your teams? Right? Are you accepting that you actually don't have all the answers, that you can't plan everything? that you can't just by more careful planning, more careful requirements in the front, anticipate all the surprises and control all the change. Mm -hmm. are, you, are you willing to give up on this and kind of let the, let the process unfold? And similar together with this comes mm -hmm. this idea of empowerment, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I think empowerment, I think like two things come to mind. Like the first one is um, it's real empowerment where people can actually make um, that people can, where you actually empower people and you let them make their decisions, right? Versus you empower them to come up with the answer that you already have in mind. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the idea in order to empower people, there's a Spotify line that says alignment enables autonomy. 
So okay. if I want to empower people, if I want them to be autonomous, I need to be sure that they are aligned with the thinking of the organization, right? That I have the right guardrails in place, so I know they are not going to deviate from the rules of the road of our organization, and that they have the right goal in mind, that they are pushing for the right targets that we all are pushing for. And when I have those things, I have the guardrails and I have the common goal, then I can actually trust people to, to make their decisions how to move along those roads towards that goal. Right? Um, it's if, if you want to kind of think about this more in a metaphoric picture, mm. there's there's a theory that goes towards um, military history, actually, and it's quite interesting. We oftentimes, when we think of military, we think of command and control and of hierarchy and of structure. But but actually, um, contrasting it, in business, we often, we, we often use this metaphor of organizations like machines, mm. right? It's like the organization is a well-oiled, efficient machine that can be designed. Yeah. The people are the cogs. They all fulfill their purpose. And if we plan it all out, it all works like clockwork, yeah. right? And in military history, there's actually been a lot of research looking at armies that have won battles, like back to the American Revolution and before, mm-hmm. that those, those leaders who were really successful are the ones who looked at their, at their divisions, at their units, like living organisms, not like machines. Mm-hmm. It's like living organisms and cells. Each cell acts independently, reacts and adapts to their environment. And all those cells have a common DNA a common mm-hmm. goal, and, and common rules and common goals. And there is a nervous system that directs them, but cells ultimately within that, the living organism adapts, responds, evolves to this environment. And that's, I think a, a lot of historians say that's why the US could win the Revolutionary War. Mm-hmm. And there's many other examples mm-hmm. in history. And I think when we are thinking as a leader about leading an agile organization, it's, mm-hmm. I think for me, Going from that idea, the well-oiled machine that I can mm. design, maintain, control, to the living organism that I need to like continue to guide in a way that it evolves and prospers and grows and adapts. Well, that just that analogy of a living organism really works for me because I think that's the way the world is now. We talk about ecosystems and even beyond the walls of partners that for a mid-sized organization, it's through partnerships that I'm going to accomplish a lot of my mission. And those are a lot of moving parts and to deal with that uncertainty. So maybe kind of coming back to that idea, if you're executing through partnerships, what advice do you give if you're starting on a journey and you're codependent on others to get on that journey? Let's say, you know, other technology companies to help you do what you do. How do you bring them into the fold? How do you work with them if you're heading down using agile principles and methodology? You know, any kind of discussion around that to our listeners would be helpful. I would think two two big concepts come to mind. Like the first one is trust and the second one is common goals. Mm-hmm. Right? I think so much of our typical relationships with partners, especially around around technology partners, system integrators, is is based on distrust, right? It's based on we are assuming negative intent and we have to get a rigorous contract that forces them to do as little damage as possible, right? And uh-huh. we need to control them. And if we want to work together in an agile fashion, that simply doesn't work, right? We need to be in a place where we assume positive intent uh, because we need the trust that if we bring the right people together and we let them work together, they will make the right decision towards common goal. Hmm. And I think working with, a ve- working with a vendor, with an implementation partner, it's that level of trust that really makes or breaks it, right? Mm-hmm. And usually... 
in my experience, a way to get to that level of trust is to have a level of alignment around the goals, mm. right? What are the goals for ultimately what that joint team, those joint teams are supposed to build? Mm -hmm. And what are the goals for our partnership around the enablement, the working together, bringing the best people towards bringing the best people to the task? Mm. And that's, that's really what needs to come into place. Mm. If you're working on a place where you're negotiating deliverables and you're negotiating the timeline to deliver and you're trying to beat up the price, you're never going to get to that open relationship and partnership where the people work effectively together as one team. And that's, I think, where I've seen this breakdown, where people try to have it both ways. They try okay. to negotiate that those hard yeah. deadlines and then still assume that people on the ground can work as one team. I just remember going through training, Peter, and you talked about it's not this or that, the black and white contrast, that it's more subtle than that. It is uh, value over price, maybe, in this analogy that you're talking about, right? It's progress over hitting SLAs. You still will have SLAs. You still will have price. But what is over that is there's this overarching goal or theme to get us together to get things in our members' hands quicker, better, with greater effect. And that's the, the premise of the working relationship. I think, I think that's exactly right, right? And to the extent you can make that a shared goal, right? That you say the goal of our team and our vendor is to delight our customers and to get better features into their hands faster mm -hmm. and with that deliver value for the credit union. Yeah. That's, that's really the point to go after, right? And yeah. then trusting that joint team to do the best they can in order to get that goal done, right? And where the rubber hits the road is is oftentimes the experience what to do when there's people on the vendor's side who are not carrying their own weight, hmm. right? This is, is, it, it, it always happens. It's a fact of life. And um, in an agile team, it becomes visible very quickly, right? You have those eight people sitting together in a room. Hmm. And if there's somebody there, who just doesn't get their tasks done, who shows up to a daily stand-up in the morning and says, yesterday I worked on this thing and I didn't really make any progress and today I'm going to work on it again and I don't know how far I'll get. And they say the same thing three days in a row. Everybody else on that team says, wait, I have to carry, I have to pick up the slack. I have to do this person's work. Um, that's really where the moment of truth comes in, right? Does the vendor realize that that person doesn't contribute to the goal that doesn't and, and are they willing to to make a change to the team mm. and that's really where the rubber hits the road ultimately with that shared goal yeah you know i'm feeling that acutely in my role um in the last oh really five or six years i think is kind of when the inflection point happened that i really realized the price grinding and the slas and the way we work technology relationships before needs to change profoundly and so you know it's important for me to know my counterpart at the company, that we get together and talk mm -hmm. about our shared goals, shared roadmaps that we're on, how we view the world, how we're going to approach getting things done in the world. Uh, before, I maybe left that up to my CIO. Maybe that was just really boneheaded on my part. But it's really come to the foreground that's saying, no, you must engage. And it's a cross-functional leadership team that needs to go meet with our technology providers to kind of get this thing going, you know, at, at a better way, a more productive relationship. Yeah. I think I think you're you're actually hitting on a really really profound trend there that I think we're 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 seeing especially across financial institutions industry where really IT we used to think of it like as a support function right it was somewhere akin to facilities 
something that like you know keeps the lights on keeps the computer running that's what i was thinking a utility yeah yeah. it's a utility yeah Yeah, you manage like you know hit basic kpis at the lowest cost and now what we're really seeing is it becomes part of the core operation right it's more akin to how general motors would think of the plant where they make the corvette right this is like our part core part of the business and it's really going from that utility support function to a ceo level core operations topic and that elevation I think it's exactly what you're describing, right? And that mm-hmm. reflects itself in the way that you're working with the partners. Now, this is kind of maybe different than what we originally contemplated thinking about covering in this. But so what seems to work in choosing those partners and when that's not working, what kind of interventions are you seeing happen in the marketplace? Maybe even within financial services, you know, um, is it jumping to, to fintechs to get the answer and those aren't working well? Or kind of like just describe that landscape to deal with this thorny issue. And what are some of the things that are not working and what are some of the best practices going on? That's that works. Um, yeah, a couple of couple of things come together. And the first one is um, the fit and trust becomes much more of a much more of a discussion topic, I think, in vendor negotiation as it has been. Right. I think we see that. Companies that do this well, they spend a lot more time talking about, is this a partner that we want to work with, that we want to be pulling together with? Do we see this partner supporting our goals, Mm. right? As opposed to transactional nature where I'm negotiating a contract. And that's kind of number one. Number two is, I think we are seeing in pockets a resurgence of the engineering services companies as opposed to the large SIs. The large SI is very focused on like, standard way of delivering pieces, standard way of managing services, like your cost focus, contract negotiation focus, very industrialized in a way of ways. Mm. Whereas like engineering services looking at groups of qualified experts solving specific problems in the best possible way together with their clients. And we see mm. those companies kind of making a resurgence, if you will. Mm. Um, and then the third trend is we are seeing a lot of companies actually bringing IT departments back in-house. Mm-hmm. Right? I think Randy Moss at uh, GM was one of the first large examples back insourcing 4,000 people in the IT organization. We see American Express going through their centers around the world, moving away from managed services and contractors and hiring people back into the development shop. So I think, and that's that's the third trend, really it becomes again like something that was outsourced, managed for cost mm-hmm. to something that becomes a strategic capability either in-house or with a strategic partner. Okay. So we're talking about ways of getting the mission done, kind of coming back around to our discussion where it started around how Agile can help with that. Um, If you're starting down that journey, maybe set some expectations about, well, how long will this take? That's a common question, right? When will I know I'm done? And, you know, kind of help set right perspective around that. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a great, it's a great question. The, 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 truth, the truth of the matter is, I think we're seeing this even in the organizations that have been doing, doing agile for a while now, they are still on a journey to become more agile and to become better. I think it's really not one of those things where we can say, now we are agile, we're done. Hmm. But it's something, how can we become more agile? And we see like leaders kind of pushing the organizations every year, like, what is the next step for us, right? How do we become even more nimble? How do we become hmm. even more responsive? Hmm. Um, that, that being said, I think the way to look at this is, is really at two levels, levels. One is kind of the level of those cross-functional teams, right? And when does a team kind of become self-sustaining? And we find that when we form a new team, training them to work in an agile fashion, 
they usually need somewhere between like two and five months to get to a point where people have adopted that new way of working and they become self-sustaining and they get past that point of no return, where if you ask them, 100% of people will say, I'll never go back. Hmm. Somewhere between two and five months, depending on where people are coming from, their background. The other lens I would look at is the organization around it. Right. And we, we're seeing this um, when people start working in agile fashion. It's kind of like, you know, it's a pilot. It's a lighthouse. It gets a lot of executive attention. And you can make like, you know, one team successful. You can make two teams successful. You can maybe make 10 teams successful. But eventually it's like ramming square pegs and round holes. And that mm -hmm. works if you put a lot of attention and a lot of force behind it. But at some point, it doesn't scale. At some point, everything around it starts to crack. Mm -hmm. And the operating model needs to change to accommodate mm -hmm. um more agile ways of working. And when I say operating model, I mean like governance, funding, HR, finance, legal, risk, compliance, facilities, workspaces, everything around it that has been mm. has spent the last 30 years growing up to accommodate people working in a waterfall fashion. And now things are different, right? Mm. And that transformation of the support functions around it, most companies take somewhere between six and 12 months to get through that and really change all those capabilities around. Okay. Yeah. So if you're going to embrace agile methodology, is everything become agile or do we still use waterfall? Do we still kind of differentiate work streams? And when did, when is waterfall? When is agile? If it is both kind of help me think about that. Um, it's a, it's, it's an, in, it's an interesting question. Um, the way, the way I, the way I would look at it is um, there are some places that are more natural fits than others. Hmm. And um, the second piece I would look at it is agile is about it's about values and principles ultimately, right? It's about those ideas of cross-functional teams, of empowerment of leaders further down in the organization, of working an iterative test and learn approach, and those those principles and values can actually apply to to many parts of the organization, but they will manifest in different ways, right? If they are building software. It's like your scrum team, the way that you're picturing it, like the picture book agile idea, yeah. right? If you think about the way that a contact center or call center operates, probably doesn't look like that. Mm. Can agile principles be applied? Well, we see now there's in, in, in a few companies, there's like um, one of one of the large European banks has gone through and reorganized their call centers and their middle and back office operations to be working in an agile fashion based on a model that Zappos initially pioneered. We just saw one of the large mm. telecoms in North America go through the same process. Mm. The idea is it's not Scrum and Scrum Agile teams, but it's the idea of a cross-functional team where people answer calls, perform middle office tasks, perform back office tasks, mm. and they work together in a team, and that team owns a certain customer journey, and they have ultimately a common value-based goal, which is customer satisfaction, and that's their one goal. So. Um, they're moving away from that top-down management of your call center towards all the towards these dozens of operational metrics in the dashboard to saying now we have these cross-functional teams. People can do anything from answering the phone call to keying in the changes in the back-end system, and they have one goal, which is customer satisfaction. And I have a number of those teams around. Mm -hmm. I group them together into sets of teams, and I let them self-organize. Um, they've actually gone as far as leaving those teams, um, a lot of the scheduling mm. basis into the teams and letting the teams define their scheduling, how they um, staff against peak times, against off times. Because they say, if your goal is customer satisfaction, if your answering time goes too high, your customer satisfaction drops. So we trust you as teams, you'll make the right trade-offs and calls. And what they found is customer satisfaction went through the roof in those groups. Mm. 
they found that um, they found that the employees became much more engaged, and they found that retention in call centers typically one of the major cost drivers, right? New people come in, yeah. training, and they found that retention increased tremendously. That people become much more satisfied with that way of working. Mm-hmm. So it, se- it seems there's like an opportunity to bring it there. So there's many places in the organization where it can go, um, and ultimately the question becomes. Um, if agile is a better, faster way to execute work, people will ask, why am I going to use a slower, more rigid way? <laughs> Got it. So it, we are learning and, and through my reading that absolutely it's a culture change. It's an enterprise wide initiative. It's not just something that happens uh, to your project management office in, in order for it to really thrive. Um, and I've been doing some thinking and you've helped to shape this thinking saying, um, agile works really well when complexity is high, right? And ambiguity maybe around which direction to go is mm-hmm. high. And I think about when I call my weekly staff meeting of the executive team, we face those very same kinds of things. A lot of uncertainty and disruption in the marketplace. Do you know of leadership teams that are saying we're going to work as an agile method because it'd be effective as, as a leadership kind of model and a way of working? Yeah. Have you seen that? It's it's an interesting question. Um, like how, what it means to em, em, what it means to embrace agile principles at the leadership team level. So we we hear a lot of leadership teams talk about it, and we see a few actually working on em, embracing it. Um, maybe maybe most maybe most advanced is a story, and I think the uh, the leadership team from ING in the Netherlands has talked about this publicly. Mm. They um, they took the entire leadership team, so the CEO and all his directs. Um, they gave up their offices. They picked like a floor space, set up one large board table in the middle, and said, "Myself as a CEO and my ten direct reports, we sit around a large table, and we are one agile team." Mm. We are, don't have offices. We sit around a table. We have to stand up every morning and we talk together as a team about how we run this company. And I am the CEO and the product owner for this team. I set the priorities, but then I'll trust my team to figure out how to deliver against this. So, so they did away with the functional silos that came with it, much more collaboration, much more interaction. And it looks a whole lot more like the teams further down in the organization and sends a huge message. And that CEO would say it's a much more effective way of running his team. Mm. Um, we see like other, other organizations not quite going as radical, um, but I'm working with a, a large uh, early childhood care provider, actually, oh. who's looking at um, transforming into a more digital organization, embracing more digital values. And that one of the things that they want to do is at the leadership team, they have to change the way they work to foster that transformation in the organization. And so they looked at specific behaviors that they can adopt or specific questions that they can ask. And a couple of the things that are very high on their list are ideas around um, em- encouraging test and learn, mm-hmm. right? Encouraging people to test things out, to take experiments, mm-hmm. and basically saying if somebody never fails on any pilots, that means they're not experimenting, they're not taking risks. Very different approach from let us like, you know, play it safe. Manage out it, all the variants. Manage no, out all yeah, the variants. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, look at the data, look at data much more than they used to. And always asking the question of why when people come to them, asking the question, what makes you think that this is the right answer? What data do you have to prove your decision? Hmm. And taking that data driven approach. So there is like, it's a more nuanced shift, but yeah. um, we're already seeing it. Hmm reverberating through the organization and actually driving quite different behaviors. Very good. Hey, maybe just a couple more questions before we go. Um, so 
if you're an executive and you're you're experiencing just you know thoughts about which way to take the business, we often turn to consultants to you know help our thinking and maybe do engagements. Do you have an opinion about like when to call a consultant, when when to bring them in, what's the right conditions? You know, help us think about that. Um, when I when I think about the clients I'm working with, there's really people at different stages of the stages of the journey. Like some of some of our clients really come come along and they say we have heard about agile out there we've read the articles but we're looking for we're looking for somebody to help us navigate that space right help us understand what it really means help us understand why it works how it drives value and maybe help us navigate companies that are out there that are doing it well so that we can see what what good looks like yeah. and so with some companies we engage in this very early stage some somewhere in that space where we started at we started at partners yeah. right which was let us get like you know the first teams underway. Let us understand what is required to get those teams operating in a successful fashion. Um, and then with some of our clients, they're kind of in a different space. Yeah. They're actually doing it already at a larger scale. They have dozens of teams running, and they are saying, "We have all these teams, and maybe we have worked with some agile coaches. Maybe we yeah. have like self-taught, but we're just not seeing the results. We have done this. IT tells me we're all agile, but." Things still take a long time. Things are still inefficient. Help me understand what's like, how can we do it better? Yeah. Right? Like, why is yeah. Agile not working for us yet? Sure. So I would say the common pattern in all of these is I would always say when you bring a consultant on board, don't just have the consultant do it for you, but have the consultant teach you, have the consultant yeah. work themselves out of a job. Yeah. Because in all of these cases, it is going to be an ongoing journey to become more and more agile. And you want to build that capability and that muscle internally so that you can continue to drive it forward after the consultant goes away. Mm -hmm. The consultants are helpful to, in the beginning, help you navigate, get you off the ground, give that initial shove and help kickstart the capability internally. But then you want to take over, right? And you want to continue to drive that as a core capability of yourselves. Well, that's something I appreciate in our partnership is that there isn't the codependence. There's interdependence, right? You know, intense learning over two months on our journey and then kind of the capstone event in, in the playbook that you left us with and checking in once a month to saying, how is the playbook going to kind of keep the accountability there, but also the help us over the, the humps that we're finding. So um, just thank you. Thank you very much for that. We're kind of coming to the end of our time together. Um, mm -hmm. Anything else that you would want to share with our listeners before we go? I think, I think the important thing here to notice is um, it's really, in my mind, a very exciting time to think about this from an organizational perspective. I think we have had like a certain way of thinking about organizations that in a way dates back to like Taylorism and the <laughs> ideas of scientific management. And a lot of those metri those notions have stuck with us and have governed how we like drive organizational efficiency, how we do consulting, frankly, um, for the last like, you know, 60, 70, 80 years. And I think we're really at that sea change moment where we say a lot of those notions are being put on their heads, right? The notions around um, the idea I can have an efficient organization, I can tune every part, I can maximize my metrics, I can control change. If I plan carefully enough, I can avoid surprises down the road. All of those fundamental assumptions are kind of coming up for, for relitigation or for renegotiation. And I think what I really find fascinating about this change is that what it does is it gives a lot more power to people at much lower levels in the organization. Mm -hmm. right? When we are saying empowering, what we're really saying is 
we take people who are down at the bottom of the pyramid mm -hmm. and we're giving them ownership of their work and we're giving them ownership of their decisions and we're giving them the tools and the framework to do it. Mm -hmm. And every organization that I've been with us through it, you can, you can feel that vibe, that hum and that buzz in the yeah, hallways. It's palpable. Yeah. Right? It's, it's palpable yeah. when you see how people embrace it and how they start to enjoy their work again. And so I think it's a it's a very exciting time to to work through right now. Yeah, but well, I would agree with you. And I, I would share a compliment about your work um, here at Partners. I think we were about a month in and the team was doing a stand-up. And we're by Coastal Credit Union for our listeners, which means we use video conferencing. And on that day, video conferencing was not working. And so I just took the call by audio, by a phone bridge. And you could hear the buzz in the excitement after a month of working with your team about, you know, we were able to do this in, you know, several hours rather than two days. We were able to make a decision inside of a day together rather than taking it back to leadership to make a decision. You could, you could just feel that energy. So I just want to tell you, thank you for bringing that energy to partners. Thank you for bringing the energy to our podcast. Um, we'll have show notes out there with connections to Peter's information if you'd like to get in contact with him. And also we'll, uh, include a few articles about Agile uh, in the show notes as well. So, Peter, thank you very much for being here today and sharing uh, your energy, your passion, and your knowledge with us. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, John. Bye for now, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of the BigCast C-Suite with John Janclays. To learn more or connect with John and the CEO Corner, please visit theceocorner.com. And we always welcome you to join in on our conversation. You can connect with the BigCast Network directly by tweeting us at BigFintech, emailing us at info at big-fintech.com or visiting our website at bigfintechmedia.com.